Welcome to Love, Words, and Poetry, a podcast that celebrates the connections that flow from love to words to poetry and back again. I'm Victoria Mary Thatch, a published poet. I'll be reading a few of my poems, pondering a word or phrase that intrigues me, and sharing some of the love letters my husband and I wrote over a period of 30 years that give insights into how we built a deeply loving and passionate marriage. I was recently challenged to make a change in the structure of my podcast by several different people whose opinion I value. They told me that it would be better if my poems were more closely linked to the love letters I have been sharing and that it would be a good idea to follow a more chronological order. At first, I resisted the suggestions because, as one of them commented, it might be a much greater labor of love, with the emphasis on labor, to try to connect the poems to the love letters in time, considering that I have 30 years of letters and poems that go back to when I was 13. However, on Sunday night, May 7th, I went upstairs to discover if I could see the full moon. It was too cloudy, but since I was in the room with the closet where I keep my love letters, I thought I would look and see if I could find some of the earlier letters. Most of them were in big boxes, and I took down one after the other until I pulled out the box on the bottom shelf and opened it. And there, right at the front, were the notebooks from our original marriage retreat when we began writing love letters to each other as husband and wife. That was when our grand matrimonial adventure began, although we fell in love when we met as seniors in high school. When we were in college, we both took French, and I wrote a love poem to Wes in French. Awes le 4 mai. Je veux être ta colombe. Je veux te donner chanson. Palpité d'un cœur amen. Veux-je toujours dans notre amour, maintenant et aussi demain. In English, it would be approximately to Wes May 4th. I want to be your dove. I want to give you a song. I want to flutter in your heart and hand with our love now and also tomorrow. When we went on our first marriage retreat, we had been married seven years. We lived in New Jersey, had two daughters, and I was expecting our third child. I had wanted to go on this retreat for several years, but Wes was reluctant. However, I became very ill with pneumonia that Christmas and he told me he would be willing to go if we could find someone to watch the girls. As it happened, his mother had offered to take them to Ocean City, New Jersey, so we could get away on a second honeymoon to Bermuda before we had our third. I saw an announcement in our parish bulletin about a retreat the weekend before we were scheduled to leave for Bermuda. His mother was delighted to have the girls several extra days, and off we went. 
We listened to a talk and were asked to reflect on why we had come to the retreat and what we hoped to gain. Although I was the one who wanted to go, when I reread Wes's reflection, I could see again the depth of his love for me even before we began to write our reflections as love letters. And that was only the beginning. In my reflection, I wrote, I came to the Marriage Encounter Weekend because so many of our friends felt it had enriched their marriages. And while I know we have a good marriage, I also wanted it to become even better, especially in being able to communicate deeply about important things to both of us. I hope to gain a much better understanding of Wes and to learn how to listen to him better since I feel I am not really very good at listening to things that matter the most to him. I feel that I'm often very selfishly concerned with only my own interests, thoughts, and feelings, and disregard his, because he seems so steady and able to absorb my own selfishness. I would like to grow out of my habits of interrupting him or thinking of what I want to say next instead of listening to him and of becoming impatient with him. Wes wrote, The most immediate reason was that I knew it was something Vicki had wanted to do for a long time, and that there really wasn't any good reason for my opposition. Also, Vicki was sick at the time, and it seemed a good thing to do to cheer her up. In a deeper sense, I guess I always knew it was something I ought to do. I had never really heard anything but good things about Marriage Encounter Weekends, and I've always felt, like they said in the introduction, that no matter how good a marriage is, we should always strive to make it better. This seemed an ideal time, too, with number three on the way, some hard questions about my future coming up, etc., which I thought really needed a strong marriage to see us through. Then, too, I've always felt, maybe because of the example of my parents, that communication is so important and that there are hundreds of ways that communication can kind of slip away, not break down really, but kind of get cut short. This is especially true with the hours I work and how busy Vicki is around the house. She has been complaining the last year about a couple of ways in which she feels our communication is failing. I felt that an ME weekend, if nothing else, might serve to revivify, so to speak, our communication, break down some of our inhibitions, my reserve, etc. Finally, I think it was the example of Lou and Pat Ferraro which finally convinced me that an ME weekend would be a real help and not just a waste of time or an occasion for embarrassment. I'll follow with the next poem I had published in Portable Wall in spring of 1993. I wrote the poem after our fourth daughter was born in 1985 and I was struggling through a deep depression. Wes and I were still writing love letters to each other every day and his support helped me through that difficult time as well as the love of our children. 
So I offer this as a Mother's Day gift to all mothers whose experience of motherhood is not just smiles and roses. And that is most of us. Darkness comes in the afternoon with dirty dishes and crumbs. Smothering hands muffle the air, dissolve me atom by atom into a shadow anchored by guy wires, thin as cobwebby strands, untangling one by one. Four voices hold me here, calling mommy in the twilight as they sail in from play, unraveling the cotton candy gray with sparks of firefly to mend to a glow while a lone cricket pipes the watches of night. I'll close with a poem I wrote when I was in college and there was never enough time for everything I wanted or needed to do. I recently spent a lot of time revising it once I realized what I wanted to say, since it was originally a rather sophomoric effort, but then I was a sophomore in college when I wrote the first version. Before I read it, I will deal with the phrase of the day, skew arch bridge which makes a brief appearance in the poem. A skew arch, also known as an oblique arch, is a method of construction that enables an arch bridge to span an obstacle at some angle other than a right angle. The ultimate example, which is still preserved in Pennsylvania, is the skew arch bridge, which crossed over the Portage Railroad from 1834 to 1854. The original hand-hewn stone bridge was built at right angles to the railroad. A right angle turn was arduous for a wagon to negotiate. Therefore, to make the crossing compatible, the bridge was turned or skewed. The title of the closing poem is Eluding the Clocks. There are windows in ramparts sailing in air beyond the strict corsetry of time. If I could elude those stern hands, slip between seconds where wildness beckons, fragrant and frenzied, dappled and dancing, out gambling night, an entrancing whirl across a skew arch bridge to an out of the blue paradigm beyond flight above the ridge, the hourglass empty and clear of any mark, no sands or stain of dark, where a profusion of light expands, expands every chamber of the heart. May your days be filled with a profusion of light.